when you choose safety, is it because you're fearful or maybe because you're just freaking smart? If you do something completely impulsively and risky, of course, there's probably some extra upside reward. But how many times has that gotten us killed? Really what we need to know if we're coaching people is that your client definitely needs to be cognizant of what the risks are for them and their risk tolerance. I almost try to talk people out of things as a way to show them the gravity of the decision they're about to make. You give up a lot. There are sacrifices in time and pain and resources and discipline and attention that you have to understand are going to change the course of your life. If we're choosing safety, you know, are we really reinforcing fear? Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Mind Muscle Connection. I'm Joe Klimczewski with a special guest, Dr. Jennifer Souter. And uh, this is really fun because uh, Jennifer is our medical director at the Diet Doc LLC. She also has a legal medical practice in Seattle. She specializes in pain management, also addiction, and uh, has some other, I would call them subspecialties, but I know you're humble enough that you may not claim them as such, Jen. But uh, of course, health, weight loss, possibly even bariatric intervention. Um, you are a world record holding powerlifter. You've got half a dozen or more of those accolades hanging around your neck at any given time. And so that the, the topic... them could have fallen by now, Joe, but <laughs> <laughs> you know how they are. They're made to be broken, man. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. Um, I don't know. You, I, knowing you, you, you'd probably be back on the platform just to defend that, that title. I will be. But so one of the things, Jen, that I love about you is you're somebody who digs in. You're not going to just take cliche as truth. And I had posted a quote, as I often do in my coaches clinic posts, um, that so, something to the effect that that safety and fear are opposites, that every time you choose safety, you reinforce fear. And uh, you said, maybe not. Maybe that's not exactly how that works. But uh, Tyler and I, in the course of our Mind Muscle Connection podcast, we, we, we no matter how far we try to create diversity and, and get into some great tangents, it seems like we always come back to these deep, deep topics of decision-making and critical thinking. And this is one of those that I think is so just deeply, historically, evolutionarily anthropologic in that when you choose safety, is it because you're fearful or maybe because you're just freaking smart? If you do something completely impulsively and risky, of course, there's probably some extra upside reward, but how many times has that gotten us killed in our past? Or So, so it, it is a very, very tough question. Where do you come down? We, we talk to a community of very aggressive health enthusiasts, hardcore lifters, physique sport people, performance sport athletes, and these are people known for going for it, for doing the hardest things, for risking it all for glory. So it's an interesting dichotomy that you bring to the table because you literally hold world records in powerlifting, but you're also disciplined enough to go through a rigorous academic pursuit, becoming a physician that takes incredible, I would say, kind of a, kind of a delicate dance between safety and risking things. That's not easy to even 
start down that journey. So go ahead and unload on me. Tell me why you did not like that quote and, and, and where we need to go. Well, I'm not sure if I don't like it. So I, it, this is so me that you posted this uh, and I read your, you know, coaches clinic posts re- weekly. And it's, and the quote is quote, every time we choose safety comma, we reinforce fear unquote. And it's Sherry Huber and me being the dork that I am. I, I screenshotted that. Right. And just kept that on my desktop and just let that thing just kind of sit in there because there was something when I read that right away, it just rubbed me wrong. That's one of those quotes and quotes are really interesting things because they grab us. They're little mental teases. I think of quotes like that as being um, a worm on a hook that is dangled in front of us. Are we going to bite on that? You know, um, it looks kind of, that quote looks kind of tasty. And if you're someone who's of my mindset, your mindset, the mindset of people um, who are physique sport athletes, strength athletes, uh, performance athletes, people who are trying, you know, doing ultra marathons, people who are doing incredible road racing on cycles, bodybuilders, power lifters, Olympic athletes, swimmers, you name it, people who are competitive athletes they'll look at that quote and they're going to bite on that because that's, that just, that reinforces with a reinforcement. There is your own cognitive biases in fact. So, so if you, if you think that by, by choosing safety, you're reinforcing fear that you should always be on that edge and stuff. Um, you're, you're, you're buying into your own cognizant bias. So really what we need to know if we're coaching people, um, and this is obviously for, for you and the, and the listeners who are physique sport coaches, strength coaches, um, is that your client definitely needs to be cognizant of what the risks are for them and their risk tolerance. So, I mean, first you you want to explore that with your clients, right, Joe? In other words, identify what's their why behind, let's say you have someone comes to you and they want to compete. They want to do their first bodybuilding competition and you want to um, get to know them, right? So, so you probably explore certain domains and I'm going to let you tell me, but my guess is that you probably start with asking for their why. And then as you're working with that client, and they're really seriously wanting to compete, you're probably, because I've heard you say this a lot, you're probably educating them about the things that could go wrong and the challenges and, and probably assessing the fear factor or the resistance or other, other probable cognitive re- responses of that client. Tell me a little bit more about that side of it. Well, you're exactly right. I, I almost try to talk people out of things as a way to show them the gravity of the decision they're about to make. And whether it's an Olympic athlete, as you said, that I may work with or a, or a performance or a physique athlete, you give up a lot. There are sacrifices in time and pain and resources and discipline and attention that you have to understand are going to change the course of your life. It's the lost opportunity cost from doing other things. And so is this pursuit really for me? And I, I think I learned this. I, I should make sure I've got the citation correct. 
Um, there's a professor who is who is touted as the greatest ADD, ADHD expert, teaches out in Massachusetts, I believe, at a, at a Worcester campus. And, and he, he's said this so succinctly, I, I swear this is just my new foundational mantra for all of science. It's, it's rarely either or, it's how and when. And so for a pursuit like this, where there could be very, very high risk, again, to just your personal life, other professional endeavors you could engage in, but you're not as that lost opportunity to do this new thing, uh, is this the right time? Is this the right method? Are you, you, you mentioned, you know, taking inventory, counting the cost, you know, can I do this right now? Does it make sense for me? What's the highest level of reward possible? And what's the lowest risk? Speaking of cognitive bias, I tend to, as an optimist, when it deals with me, you know, personally, here's a bias on top of a bias. I never think the worst thing's possibly going to happen. I always think the best thing's obviously going to happen because that's what I want. And so since I know that personally as a pitfall, I'm much more cognizant to lay that out to people I'm going to work with because I want them to know before we dive in head first, I can help you get there. We can do this, but are you ready? Are you sure you have what it takes and it's really what you want? And I, I've got some kind of cradle to grave examples of that, but just as a direct answer to your question, I do take that seriously when I'm working with others to say, let's, let's really look at these risks versus reward because when we step further and further and further away from safety into risk, it, things can happen. Right. So that's one of those things about that quote. Um, if, if we're choosing safety, you know, are we really reinforcing fear? And this is why I think not. When we look at our nervous systems and how they evolved since we were little single-celled organisms down in the muck, you know, we, our oldest systems are the sympathetic system. And for people who don't know what that means, that's your very basic fight and flight freeze faint system. So I think most people are generally aware of what that means. It is survival based. So your body is set up at its lowest, most basic level, what we might call quote unquote, the lizard brain um, is to detect threat and threat detection is our survival. We as humans have developed and evolved into what we are, good, bad, or indifferent, um, in large part because we were the ones who had the better threat detectors. So when we were out in the bush and we heard a noise, you know, we didn't have to sort of sit there and, and get all, all uh, you know, really interested and curious about, well, was that a lion? Well, maybe it was, well, maybe. no, you just got the heck out of there, right? You heard something behind you, you got the heck gone. And you got yourself to safety and then you figured out what it was. Is it going to eat me or am I going to eat it? But those who dawdled and pondered on the planes, you know, thousands of years ago probably didn't last very long. So that has left us with a really excellent, very basic system. And our parasympathetic system developed on top of that. That's the system that we use to connect with each other. That's the system um, that drives our social connections, which is also a really vital part of, of Homo sapiens. So it is where we derive 
our sense of community, it's where we get our emotional intelligence, if we have any, or social intelligence, we survived by learning to work in groups. We were not the strongest, we were not um, even necessarily the, you know, the fittest or the smartest, but we definitely had the ability to work in groups and we developed language to express that. So parasympathetic nervous system balances our sympathetic nervous system. So that's the uppers and the downers. Most of the general causes of disease today, as we're finding, and you can look at some really fascinating uh, mitochondrial research um, done for, through NIH by a, by a scientist named Robert Navio, who is just phenomenal. Um, what we are understanding is obviously the mitochondria are the, the powerhouses of our cells and they regulate our energy metabolism. They regulate our healing cycles too. And if there is an excess of sympathetic tone and a lack of parasympathetic tone, so if our nervous system is out of balance, then that promotes inflammation and it promotes um, healing cycle breakdown. So it, it prevents the mitochondria from completing their healing cycles. And it may be the, the key to the persistence of chronic disease in modern society. That's getting into a really big topic, but let's pull this back down now. Let's just get this out of the sky and bring it back down to what does that mean with your coaching relationship with your client? You need to choose safety. When your clients choose you, they're also choosing safety because this experience they're going to go through, you've clearly outlined, it's going to be one of the most dramatically life-changing events of, uh, that they go through. And whether it's good stress or bad stress, it doesn't matter, it's stress. And if their nervous systems are overly stimulated on the sympathetic side, what do you think that's going to do to their ability to sleep, to recover from the workouts, um, to grow, um, to lose fat when they need to, to gain muscle when they need to, um, you know, to, to be mentally where they need to be. So you as the coach need to be that source of safety. You're the place that is the refuge. You need to be able to tap into their parasympathetic nervous system through your social skills, you need to be the safe space for these people. Well, first, just, you know, talking neurophysiology, you're making me a little weak in the knees. So I, I like being up there in the sky. Um, you know, the, the expression of what you're describing, a hypersympathetic nervous system model expresses itself as anxiety. You know, you see those people who are just like, go, 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 frantic, chaotic, and, and probably impulsive. And I'm going to say also, not just from the coach's perspective, because that's so beautifully said. I mean, that's, that's gold in terms of what we're describing today is you being the adult in the room, the coach, the person who is supposed to have the academic and experiential framework through which people can be, as you said, safe, not just progressive, but safe. I look at that also from the performer perspective. When I decided in my career as a bodybuilder that it would help me to really work on strength, and yet as an orthopedic physical therapist, I know that myself in the gym can't always three-dimensionally outside of my own interoception, see what I'm doing wrong, see what I need to do right. So I hired a powerlifting coach. 
And for six months, I did whatever that coach said. This is a guy who also held a personal world record. He had coached division one teams in the NCAA to, to national titles as well as individual titles. So I also, as somebody like the bull in the China shop who wants more, 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 I hired a good coach to make sure I didn't kill myself, break my back, or just not, not achieve those goals. I, I wanted to really see what somebody else's perspective had. But the irony is, and this is why I said that there's such a good cradle to grave view of this, after rearing four children from that scientific purview, always interested in their reflexes and their development, now I have a grandson who's 18 months old and I get to do this all over again. And I mean, that's my role. I'm like, first and foremost, do not let this child die. And uh, as he's trying to run up the stairs and doesn't realize he could fall back and break his neck, uh, just the other night in our driveway with other family members present, and, and he's not sprinting yet as an 18 month old, he started getting up to speed on the driveway. No sooner did I say, don't let him run. Then he fell down and put his tooth through his lip, you know, and, but, but again, how do you learn unless you do that? Now he knows the sympathetic nervous system is getting conditioned to say, okay, bad strategy. Maybe I should slow down. Maybe I need to brace. So those are the kind of things as we do pursue aggressive, aggressive things. I completely agree with you. Safety is not necessarily the opposite. You, you framed it so well by saying it's the hook, the bait, where all of these high performers, hustle culture, everybody wants to say more, 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 do, do, do. And I agree that that can just pull you over the cliff if you're not careful. So the sympathetic, parasympathetic balance, really, really good background for this. And if you're a coach and you're working with people, your approach has to reflect that balance in terms of your interactions with the person. So in other words, you have to be um, sympathetic side. You will be positive and encouraging. You will show confidence in their abilities. You will give them um, a little more than, than they can handle to help them to, to push themselves and to achieve um, but you won't give them more than they can handle um, so that you continue the forward momentum. At the same side, you have to have that relationship where they know they can fall back on you by just choosing a coach, as you aptly described, you, you have given yourself that sense of safety, but the best coaches understand more than just the fact that, okay, I'm here to help support you through this. Um, it's, it's more than that. It, there has to be that relationship. If you truly develop a relationship of caring, you need to, if you want to coach people, you got to like people, you got to be interested in people and you got to want to get to know people. You got to really want to know them as human beings so you actually have that bond. We really do establish a deeper bond, sympathetic and parasympathetic is more balanced that way. They're not coming to you eventually um, as just, you know, my coach, but eventually I'm sure you've seen this. They become close to being your friend. And these are people that you maintain relationships with your whole life as as a coach, I think it's really important 
for people to see clients, not as clients, but as relationships, because this is where you will separate yourself from the others in terms of the care that you give to people. It isn't just gung-ho business, um, but your business is, is the people. Well, I've got one final question to wrap this up for you, Jen. From a technical perspective, when we look at calorie deficit, body composition change over to the performance side in a gym going for strength and development, research clearly shows that you can go too far, risk metabolic suppression, risk injury on this side. You can take the incremental approach and make sure that you find that sweet spot of pursuit and recovery on the training side, enough of a calorie deficit, but yet anabolism and recovery on the nutrition side. So all of that makes sense. I, I envision as you were describing the, the almost push in the pole as a coach, you're, you're pushing to a certain degree, but you're putting this box. You've got uh, you've got a, almost a, a, you know, the 10 yard marker on a football field of, okay, we can, we can race to this side, but we got to make sure we're staying within this. And the, the whole block moves at a time between those parallels, but on a more global life perspective, when to step out and go for something? Should I, you know, start this new degree program? Should I risk this relationship? When we're talking about safety versus risk, safety versus fear, how do you make those bigger decisions? When you decided I'm going to go to medical school or I'm going to break a world record, you accomplished very, very big things. And I have to think those were not safe moves entirely. So when and how, again, not either or, when and how did you make those big steps out of safety? Well, they're not entirely out of safety, honestly, um, for the same reason that you talked to clients when they come to you, you ask these probing questions. And I think really when one is making these decisions for themselves, and I'm sure you do this yourself, is you ask yourself these questions. I've, I've realized over the years that um, I need to be adequately resourced before I put myself in a position of risk. So in other words, it's like a house needs to have a solid foundation before you start to build some really crazy structures on top of it, um, because the, the foundation will always be there. It is not um, necessarily the best time to do your first bodybuilding contest while you're in the middle of your first divorce, um, while you're you know about to have your first child, um, when you're buying your first home, when you're thinking about switching jobs. You know, take take one challenge in life and make sure that you're resourced in the other domains so that you can devote yourself to that one pursuit. And sometimes something like medical school is just your entire life needs to go into it. And there's just nothing about that. But again, your stage in life, you're young enough that that is where you are in terms of your developmental and social status as a young person, you know, graduating from school. Um, and then as, as things come up randomly through life, I've always discovered that when challenges do arise, somehow in the moment, um, I find myself adequately resourced anyway. And perhaps that's just simply practice. I know you had an experience where your house burned down. Pretty horrifying. But no matter what happened, you, you found yourself adequately resourced with what you had to make it through. Um, and, you know, those are really big decisions. But I think when we make incremental ones, 
we want to try and see if we have a foundation in place first in order to really reach those goals. And if, if it's not right, uh, it might be that you're not stopping the goal, but maybe you need to postpone it a little bit um, and get a few things, you know, lined up. There's always another competition. When and how perfectly said, and I'm very glad I, I thought just for fun, I was going to oppose your opposition to that quote, but I'm glad I didn't because you, you nailed it and, and you would have won, but uh, Dr. No winner losing here. Dr. Jennifer Souders. Thanks so much. Uh, love your contribution to everything in, in health and fitness, uh, especially in my orbit. And those of you watching the mind muscle connection, hopefully we will see you next time with uh, another great topic.